we've been going through this sermon series on the book of Acts, and again, it's a simple title, Becoming His Church. Um, and each one of those words is, is important. And we're seeing that this is what's happening 2,000 years ago in, in Jerusalem. But we also know that that's something that should be happening here, right here in Honolulu, right here at Waialai Baptist Church. That there's always this sense in, as Christians of us being something, but also becoming something. Churches begin to die when they've decided they've arrived, when they've become his church. There's always the sense of becoming his church. And the word his is really important. His, if you wanna say God, you wanna say Jesus, I don't care, doesn't matter, it's his church. Not my church, not your church, not our church, not a church, his church. And then of course, the word church. And as we're going through Acts, we're seeing more and more like what are really like powerful characteristics of his church. And we've seen in our sermons that his church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. His church faithfully proclaims the gospel. But his church also has the ongoing evidence of the gospel. And that's the one thing I think we as churches often forget. We, we, we want to do apologetics, which is great. We want to be able to explain things, which is fine. It's all good. But the the evidence for the church, the evidence for the gospel is how we live our lives together. If we're saying the Holy Spirit has come upon us, the Holy Spirit has transformed our lives, the Holy Spirit has empowered us to love one another as only God can love, that needs to be evident in what we do, how we live. You see, even for Jesus... Even for Jesus, who would do all these miracles, even for Jesus, that was just to get people's attention. It was to help them understand something about, about his, the nature of his ministry. But what would happen when the signs stopped, when the miracle stopped? People would beg for more, and if they didn't get the more, then what? Ah, they go away. We see Peter and John doing miracles. John, not John from the Bible, but John Kanishiro preached about that last week, that these miracles that were occurring and people are, it's getting people's attention, but what happens when the miracles stop? And if you read all of the summaries, if you read the summaries that, that we've covered, right there with the signs and the wonders is that ongoing sign and wonder of the church. And so we come today 
and we look at this church, and again, we have to remember, it's just been going for just a little while. It's, it's had both the benefit and then the, the struggles, the challenges of, of, of explosive growth. And we're going to start seeing some of those challenges in the next couple of chapters. And so in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, "Ah, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. We read this, what I hope for you is a somewhat troubling story, perhaps even a little confusing. You know, we've been going along having this story of the church and Everything seems to be going well. Everybody seems to be on the same page. It talks about them being united and, and, you know, doing all things and sharing all things. Even when they've been persecuted, we've seen the leaders stand up to the persecution and still boldly proclaim the gospel. And then we have this story. It's kind of weird story. And we see these two people who are trying to be involved in in what's going on at the church, but they're doing it in a deceitful way. Now, some things we need to know. Things we need to know is that there was no compulsion for people to sell 
everything and give it to the church. It's purely voluntary. And we know some people did and some people didn't. And even when we read last week about Barnabas, it doesn't say Barnabas sold all of his property. It, sold, it said he sold one of his properties. So this isn't something that's coerced. It isn't something that is to buy influence. In fact, if you, again, go back to the end of chapter, of chapter 4, it's because people were seeing needs and they were meeting those needs. They saw needs that other people had in the church and they knew that they had more than enough. And now they were selling their property so that others could not be in need. In a way, what they're doing is they're doing something that Jesus had said back in Matthew. In Matthew 25, oftentimes people kind of misread the, the judgment of the sheep and the goats. They think that when Jesus is talking about feeding and clothing and visiting those who are hungry and poor or imprisoned, they think that Jesus is saying, generally, that's what we do. But no, what he's saying is, you, my followers, this is the test. Is there anyone in your church who is in need? And are those needs being met? And, of course, we've kind of created the workaround. We've kind of created the avoidance. The avoidance is we don't ask anybody if they have any needs. We don't really want to know. In fact, we kind of create a culture where it's not super popular or easy to share your needs. People are almost afraid to. It's almost felt like it's looked down upon. And yet Jesus is saying in Matthew, that's the test. And you cannot show up at the judgment and say, I didn't know because I'm pretty sure the judge is going to say, why didn't you know? Why didn't you know? And what excuse are we going to give? Well, you know, it's our culture. You know, we're just, you know, we, do, we just don't talk about those things. It was the pastor's fault. He didn't go out and find the needs and let us know. No. It's, they're, they're living out that we see needs. We want to meet needs. But there's no compulsion but these, these two, this couple, and Luke doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us why they're doing what they're doing. We can guess, and if you want to guess along with us, come Wednesday night to Bible study, because we guess all the time. We can guess, but I'm not going to guess today. The text doesn't tell us. It just tells us they did it. And it tells us that, that they conspired to do it. This was premeditated. This wasn't an accounting error. 
they do it, and they, when they're confronted with their sin, the, the Luke's really clear, they drop dead. That's what it means. And again, this bugs us. And, and, and I've heard people try to explain this away, different ways. You know, one thing is you'll often hear people say, well, you know what, they got what they deserved because you know what, they sinned. Well, how many of us would even come here if we knew when we walked in this door and we had sin in our hearts, we had dropped dead? And be like, okay, I'll do that online thing, you know, because safer, right? I don't want to get there. We say they got what they deserve, but I don't really think that's the point of the story. Because again, we're going to start reading later on about other people who are doing as bad or worse, and yet they don't drop dead. Other people go the other direction. They're like, you know, this, this overreaction. You know, this, maybe God was trying to make a point. Maybe he just overdid it. But hopefully you know the problems with accusing God of overdoing things. But I think at the heart of all of this, when we struggle with this story, I think at the heart of it all is that many of us in the church, we don't understand the true danger of sin. We don't understand it. We don't understand not only the harm to ourselves, but the danger of sin to our church. And this story reminds us of that. This story, if you have never really come to grips with us, with this, tells us, teaches us this. And the first point is this, that God takes sin seriously. He takes all sin seriously. But you see, if we don't have a good understanding of sin, if we think sin is just God made up some arbitrary rules that we should keep, okay, then we're like, gee, God, why are you getting so bent out of shape about this? Parents, have you ever had to explain to your child when your child is has broken a rule and all they think is that that's some arbitrary rule my parents made up. And you have to explain to them why you have that rule. That it's not just arbitrary. You just didn't wake up at you know, 3 a.m. in the morning and go, you know what, I'm gonna make a rule to make life really difficult for my kids. Here it is. God takes sin seriously. He takes all sin, serious, all sin seriously. If we want to argue that Ananias and Sapphira got what they deserved, well then, they, we, they also got what we deserve. But that's part of the problem. Part of the problem when we struggle with Ananias and Sapphira is we think that our sin is not so bad. 
You know, we might look at now who I think is going to be right now the candidate for the Hitler of the 20th century. It's going to be uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, Putin as, the, as the one that everybody's going to look to in the 21st century. And we go, well, you know what? I'm not him, so I must be pretty good. And we think our sin is not so bad. But what we need to understand is that every sinful action is tied to something in our hearts. That's what Peter says. Peter says, why did you conceive of this in your heart? That's what Luke is telling us. They actually got together and came up with this plan. You know, thank God my wife and I don't think exactly the same. And hopefully that's true in your relationships. Because you need that other person to help you realize what you're saying is really stupid sometimes. And it's just wrong. And I always have to remind my wife. No, I'm kidding. It goes both ways. It goes both ways, okay? But if we all just thought the same, if, if she and I always thought the same, if we never disagreed, if we never had any other perspectives, who knows what would have happened? Who knows what stupid ideas we would have followed when we were in our 20s and 30s? But here they've come together and neither one of them said, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't such a good idea. It's conceived in both of their hearts. And when we think about what the church is, when we think about what God is doing with the church, and here it's not just the church, it's the church in its infancy, that what's happening is the uniting of lives. Not just trying to make sure their, their calendar you know, gets together and they can all be at the same meetings. It's a uniting of their hearts. And if what our church is is the uniting of our hearts, if we're conceiving of sin in our hearts and we're uniting with the hearts of the rest of the church, it is going to affect the rest of the church. We like to think that we have, you know, there's, there's victimless crimes, there's victimless sin. God says no. This is serious. It's not just because it's an arbitrary rule. It's not just because it's, I've just decided this is good and this is bad or this is better. And that's the second point that that what we're finding here is individual sin affects the community of faith. Each individual sin, because the act is connected to what's in our hearts, and God is in the business of uniting our hearts. And if I start introducing into the community of faith people who we cannot trust what's in their hearts, it will lead to the breakdown of the community because who's next? I mean, it was bad enough before we had COVID masks. 
Because people have been coming to church with masks for as long as I've been coming to church. You just couldn't see them. You come to church with your, with your mask, whatever it is, and most people's mask is like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Could have been the worst week of your life, but you knew in church you had to put on the I'm doing great mask. And so that's what you brought. Or some people would bring in the holy mask, not the mask with holes, but they would come in and for that, that you know, hour or two hours, you know, they've got on their their, their holy mask, their spiritual mask. In fact, um, I'm really glad no one in our church does this because then you might look at them and think I'm making fun of them. But there are people when they pray, they have their holy voice. And it's different from their speaking voice. Oh, God. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the sportscaster person you go, Think, does that person talk like that all the time? You know, does he go home and say, hello, wife, how are you doing? You know, and that's how they speak? No. And yet there are people who think they have to put on some mask when they come to church. They have to create layers of my life is good. Those of you who are of the Facebook generation, it's kind of like that, except we did it in real life and we still do. We only put up photographs that make us look good. I don't know anybody that posts a photograph of themselves that's like a horrible picture of them. Somehow it's positive. You know, it's like, here's a photo of my family arguing at each other. You know, here's my son, you know, choking my other son. No, it's like, here they are, smiling in front of the Grand Canyon. Not the arguing all the way up. Are we there yet? I gotta stop. No. And that's what we do. We wear masks. And we don't have something like this. We don't have something like where you can kind of make this kind of big gesture like they were doing because they weren't just selling their property. They were actually bringing the proceeds and, and placing them there at the apostles' feet. But if we don't know what it's in each other's hearts, how can we trust each other? And if we cannot trust each other, how can we have the kind of close unity that God calls his church to have? That's why all sin matters. That's why true repentance and reconciliation matters. Because true reconciliation is not just, I'm sorry, okay, I forgive you. True reconciliation is trust restored. And here's this, this infant church full of baby Christians kind of caught up in this incredible movement of the Spirit and this movement of God and they don't know what's coming. Oh, Peter and John have been, have been under persecution. But in just a few weeks, one of their most beloved members is going to be killed in the streets. And persecution is going to come upon the entire church.
even one, even one in a close community that cannot be trusted is a threat, even more so for this new church full of new believers about to undergo persecution that they've never faced before. But on Wednesday night, we talked about something else because I think there's another way to look at the story. Because when you look at this story, this story that, that again, just, it bugs us on a certain level. That even when we see that God has taken sin very seriously, if we only think about this as judgment, I think we're missing something. Because I think we also need to look at this story as an act of God's grace. Because God's grace is not always what we expect. God's grace is not always what we expect. On Wednesday night, we unpacked this a little bit more, but just understand this. God's grace to Ananias and Sapphira. If Ananias and Sapphira, and Luke doesn't tell us, it doesn't tell us if they're true Christians or not, but if Ananias and Sapphira are true Christians, God has just spared them from doing something far worse than they've already done. You see, one of the things about not appreciating the dangers of sin is not just the aftermath of sin, but it's, it's that, what we, that this, thing, this thought that we can control sin. And the Bible pictures sin like, like a fire, like a roaring lion, out of control at least out of our control. But we think we can control it. We think like, okay, th- this, this only affects this little area and no one really gets hurt by it. And that's what we think because no one knows. But it's in our hearts. And you can't control what the next expression of that's going to be. If you could go back in time and look over your life and think about things as a Christian that you prayed for that you really wanted and God didn't give them to you, and you might think in the moment that you were really, you know, like you felt really upset or you felt like maybe God was punishing you or God was judging you, and if God could let you see, if he could let you see what you would have done had he given you what you wanted and what you would have done would have been to sin, to give in to pride or selfishness, you would be like, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for not giving me those, that promotion or that thing that I thought I deserved. Unfortunately, we don't know that. When we go this way through life, we don't know that. I think it's one of the reasons when we get to heaven, 
we're gonna be just overwhelmed because we're gonna know all those places that we thought God abandoned us or we thought God was judging us and we were gonna see that it was his grace being poured out on us. I don't pronounce that on anybody. If, you know, I don't say like, oh, I can judge your situation. I can just tell you this, that in my life, and even when we look in scripture, God's grace is not always what we expect. God is also extending grace to this church. This church is about to go under attack. This church is gonna have internal struggles. Pretty soon, widows from two different cultures are gonna start arguing and being upset because they think one is being favored over the other. This is among Christians. It's gonna undergo external persecution. The last thing this church needs to go through that is to have a couple there with its secret sin for whatever it wants, for whatever reason, who's kind of walking there with them. I think of that kind of like, you might want to think of it like a ticking time bomb, or you might want to think about it like it's a landmine that you never know when these things are going to go off. And if you're facing internal struggles that come with rapidly growing church and external persecution, the last thing you need is to have one of these secret sins explode. That's why God takes sin seriously. He understands the danger, not just of the consequences, but the danger of what's in our hearts. There was this time in my life when um, you guys would all be using my nickname Lefty. Because one time, I was, something was going wrong with my car, and I was not thinking, and I left my car running, and I opened the, the hood, and I was like, going down, you know, looking for, looking for what was wrong. And fortunately, I realized, because the car was still on, the fan was still spinning. And I realized it before I put my hand, because if you've ever looked at the fan spinning, you can't tell it's there. It's just spinning. And when I realized it, of course I stopped. I wasn't stupid. But I also realized, like, my hand had come within an inch of that. I didn't know what danger I was in. I thought, oh, I'm just over here doing whatever I'm gonna do. God knows the danger. We don't always know. But I want you to look at what the text does tell us. Both in verse five and in verse 11, it says, great fear came upon the whole church. Great fear came upon the whole church. And in verse 11, it says, not only did great fear come upon the church, great fear came upon all who heard of these things. 
And we have to make sure that we're, we're clear about this. What we're clear about this is what this confirms. What this confirms with Ananias and Sapphira, what this confirms is that this is the power of the Spirit. This is the work of God. This is something beyond just some kind of you know, cool social movement or you know, the kind of the typical um, what would happen in, 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 in Jew, Jewish culture in that time where somebody would rise up and like they're going to be the savior and then they would lead a revolt against the Romans and they'd all get slaughtered. No. This is different. There are things happening here that are different. There's power behind it that's not of this world. And some people might think, like, why doesn't God still do things this way? Why doesn't both the positive and the negative, why don't we see these kinds of, like, you know, as it talks about with Peter, just people, he would heal all that they brought to him. The Bible doesn't even say that about Jesus, but it says it about Peter. All that were brought to him, he healed them. So it's the, all the positive signs. Why don't we see that? And then we have this negative sign, this judgment that comes upon this couple. Why don't we see these signs the same way? And I'm not going to say why we don't see them today, but I have a sense for why they needed to be so much more common back then. And it's because God has entrusted the mission, the mission of the proclamation of the gospel, the hope for the entire world. He's entrusted it to this small group of people in the unlikeliest of places among the unlikeliest of people. This is something that's going to be beyond them. We don't understand this. We don't understand what it's like to be persecuted for our faith. We don't understand what it's like to be the minority of minorities. We don't understand it. But here, this incredible miracle is happening. And the rest of the world at this point in time has no clue what God is doing. Because he's doing it in the, most, in the unlikeliest of places among the unlikeliest of people. Signs are needed to continue to draw and to continue to encourage. Well, we see this kind of troubling story of Ananias and Sapphira, but the last section, 12 through 16, we come back to the church being the church. Many signs and wonders are being done among the people. They're, they're gathering together in Solomon's portico. Solomon's portico is this kind of long area along the east side of the temple. And it you know, there was the wall of the temple and then there were like these columns and the portico was over there. In fact, they, there was like a double wall at this time. So it was like a great place for a lot of people to meet and you're not actually in the temple. And so they would still gather there, presumably to, 
to teach and to continue practicing uh, the, the Jewish faith. And then it says in verse 14, more than ever. More than ever. You know, think about that. Think about if people found out someone dropped dead in our worship service. Would we then say, more than ever? More than ever, people were coming to true faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not sure. If we had a PR spin doctor, they might say, like, we need to think about this, you know? We don't want this to go public. But more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So they've, they've seen Jesus They've seen him ascend to heaven. They gather, they wait. The Holy Spirit comes. God adds to their number. They go and they, they start living out their faith with each other in the power and the unity of the Spirit. God continues to add to their number. Peter and John get arrested. They get threatened. God continues to add to their number. And here, after what could be this very troubling incident in the church, they continue to be faithful, and God continues to add to their number. What I see in this, which I think we can bring to today, is that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, God's kingdom advances if we remain faithful. God's kingdom advances if we remain faithful. You know, I don't know how many of you are actually paying attention to what's happening in the Ukraine. And, you know, I will sometimes while I'm working, I'll just have the news on. And it's not simply that I look at them and I see what's happening and I want to pray for that situation, I want to know how we can help. But the other question is, what would happen if something like that happened here? Would our focus still be on God's kingdom? Would our focus still be on being faithful in that situation? Because what we're going to see in the book of Acts is what the church is going to go through for the next 2,000 years. The church is going to show up in every context, every situation. And what the church is called to do in every one of those situations, good or bad, is to be faithful. And you can see they're being faithful. They might be troubled, storms are coming, but they're being faithful. Not to give away what's coming in the future, but when they are persecuted and they are scattered across the Roman Empire, they remain faithful. But I want us to understand this, because some people get this idea that they can remain faithful because they were special. 
They can remain faithful because they had this perfect church community, no problems. No, Ananias and Sapphira tell us that, that there were problems even in this church. It wasn't perfect. The conflict that's coming between the widows, the conflict that's coming between the more traditional Jewish Christians and the Gentiles tells us this isn't perfect. They weren't without sin in their midst, but they were faithful. They were faithful to live what they believed. They were faithful to continue to proclaim the gospel. And they did it despite their weaknesses, despite their failings, because they weren't trusting in their own abilities. They were trusting in what God was going to do through them. One of the few letters we have that talk about Christians from like a common Roman to, to another Roman was they said, it, it says something to the effect of these Christians are so annoying because they'll come up and they'll start talking to you about their faith even though they're in a lower class than you are. Even though they're not as educated as you are. they'll just come and start talking to you. We know that early church was faithful. And I think what we, what we take from that is a return to God's grace. God's kingdom advances if we remain faithful despite our weaknesses, despite our failings, because God's grace God's power, God's purpose is greater than our sin. Greater than our weakness. Greater than our failings. This isn't an excuse to sin. This isn't an excuse to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to worry about spiritual growth then because you know what? God can use me as pathetic as I am. No. We still want to grow in our faith. We still want to be stronger. We still want to to, to do all that we can. But we can do that with faith that God's grace is greater than our sin. His purposes will overcome our failings. And that should give us great courage to do whatever God places before us. To attempt as William Carey said, great things for God and to expect great things from God. Yeah, it's kind of a strange story, a weird story, somewhat troubling. But I hope that what you see in this story is God's grace and God's power and God continuing to use his people.